0: You might have noticed that Cantor Ezra and the Harmon are singing many melodies today from Israel. Yesterday was Yom Yerushalayim, the day in which we celebrate the reunification of Jerusalem, the day in which the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, uh, reached all the way to the Kotel 56 years ago it's easy for me to remember when Yom Shalaim is, is because I'm a June 67th birthday so my my birthday and Yom Shalaim uh, kind of coincide with each other in the Shabbat announcements if you haven't uh, seen them yet in the Shabbat announcements there's a listing of the melodies and the prayers that are going to be sung or and have been sung today to Israeli melodies in celebration of Yom Ruh This year I'm thinking a lot about flags Uh, and I've been thinking about flags really since August having been in Basel for the 125th Zionist Congress or 125th year of celebrating this first Zionist Congress in Basel. And flags especially have played a significant role in Israel in the last 19, 20 weeks as this new government of Israel has been uh, installed and attempting to govern Israel. Uh, Flags play an important role in Israel yesterday on Yom Yerushalayim. The primary celebration of Yom Yerushalayim is a flag march. It was originally designed to mark the miraculous Israeli victory of the Six-Day War and the recapture of Jerusalem and the Kotel. But in recent years, it's been marred by more extremist elements of Israeli society. The route in which the march takes place is from Damascus Gate through the Muslim Quarter to the Kotel. It's designed to be intentionally provocative towards the Palestinian residents of East Jerusalem and in the Old City in particular. In addition, in recent years, this march has been impacted by terrible hate speech of those in the religious Zionist camp, especially the predominantly young teenage crowd that participates in the flag march. Uh, just yesterday, Thursday, the words that we heard during the march included death to Arabs, May Your Village Burn, which is a reference to what Smotrich said after the pogrom in Huaura, uh, and other things that I'm not going to recite from the Bhima. In addition, as one can imagine, there were scuffles between Israelis and Palestinians throughout the entire march. Fortunately, fortunately, uh, things went off relatively without serious violence. In the past years, that hasn't been the case. In past years, Hamas in Gaza, for example, uh, responded to the flag march of Yon Yushalayim with rocket fire into Israel. That didn't happen this year. Uh, ben Gvir, uh, Minister of National Security, uh, has been attending this march for years, and his presence this year as a cabinet minister uh, gave a certain level of legitimacy to the more extremist elements of those who attended. I, I want to emphasize that this wasn't the case for all Israelis or for all who participated and commemorated Yom Yushalayim. There was a group of people who decided to take intentionally a very different route for the march. They marched instead through the Armenian Quarter down to the Kotel. And then there were others I saw, unfortunately too small of a group to perhaps really be impactful, but notable. There were others who earlier in the day Instead of a flag march, participated in a flower march in order to set a different precedent. Um, All of this really has me thinking about flags. If you've been paying attention to what's been going on in Israel in the last 20 weeks, you'll note that flags have been very busy. For the judicial overhaul protests that have been taking place throughout Israel, Uh, people have been bringing and holding and waving flags. And amazingly, if you can imagine 200,000 people in Tel Aviv, another 250,000 people throughout the rest of Israel holding flags with flagpoles and no violence, no looting, no uh, beating of anybody up. It's been amazing to watch the peaceful protests that have been taking place. On the other side, while I was in Israel a few weeks ago, there was a pro-government rally, also bringing Israeli flags to Jerusalem, to the Knesset, in order to express their support for the government and for the judicial overhaul that's being proposed. And yet again, basically, no violence. An amazing thing to watch. And after the terrible terrorist murders of the Lee family that took place. It was so incredibly uplifting and beautiful as Rabbi Lee invited not only Israelis, but Jews around the world to show their unity and support of his family by posting on social media an Israeli flag, a picture of an Israeli flag. And millions of people throughout the world did so. What is it about a flag that can provoke such an emotional response, and yet also be read by, in so many different ways by the people who are looking at it as a symbol of protest, as a symbol of support, as a symbol of comfort. The word degel, and I had to look this up recently, because this Tavar Torah this morning is, is inspired by something that Rav Baruch shared at our board meeting a couple days ago. The word Degel, which in Hebrew means flag, can also mean a banner or a standard, but its verbal form means to look, to behold, to lift up like a banner, which is how it gets translated in Shir HaSherim in the Song of Songs as... Um, Haviani el Beit Hayayin, take me to the house of wine, vidiglo elai ba'ahava, and his banner, his love was raised up over me as a flag. It's an interesting word, degel, by having these meanings of flag and yet to lift up and to behold, and perhaps not coincidentally or ironically in this morning's Torah reading. Flags play a central role as well. In the Parsha, in the formation of the Israelite camp in the desert, each tribe has its unique flag with colors and symbols unique to the tribe. And the arrangement of the camp is that three tribes come together to form a unit Almost a battalion, if you're thinking about it in military terms. And each unit, each battalion of three tribes camps in a different section forming a square with the mishkan, the tabernacle, in the center. Each unit has as well a unique flag for that unit, which causes Rabbi Shmuel David Luzato, the Shadal, to posit that The banners, the flags, were designed to allow those who may have lost their place to find their place both physically and spiritually and even more so, he suggests, that it prevents the Israelites from appearing as a loose band of disorganized slaves. We have to remember that just a few weeks before these people were slaves in Egypt and now they're camping out in the midbar, in the wilderness, and they're preparing themselves. They're practicing for their long journey. Theodor Herzl understood Luzado's teaching, how flags can help people find their place. In 1897, at the First Zionist Congress, he wanted a flag that he could raise above the emerging Zionists in the Congress so that the delegates would understand where they were, who they were, and what they were doing. Something that would lift up their spirits as they were gonna begin with what at the time seemed like a crazy notion of establishing a Jewish state in Eretz Israel, in the land of Israel. His first thought of a flag for the Congress was a flag with a white background, and seven gold stars. The white would represent renewal and the seven gold stars would represent the days of the week. This flag was rejected by the leadership of the Zionist Congress. So instead, Herzl turned to David Wolfson and said, David, you have to find me a flag three days before the Congress was going to begin. And so David is thinking and thinking and thinking and then suddenly he writes in his journal, what flag would we hang in Congress Hall? And then an idea struck me. We have a flag, it's blue and white, the Talit with which we wrap ourselves when we pray. That, he said, is our symbol. Let us take the Talit he writes from its bag and unroll it before the eyes of Israel and the eyes of all nations. So, David wrote, I ordered a blue and white flag with the shield of David the Magen David painted in its center. That flag right over there. Now, Herzl and most of the people that were at the Congress were secular. They understood the Talit as a symbol of the Jewish people, but when they looked at it, they didn't necessarily identify fully with its religious symbolism. What makes a Talit a Talit is not the fabric or the blue stripes of the Livayim, but rather it's the Tzitzit, the fringes on the end that we recite in the third paragraph of the Shema. When we wrap ourselves in the talit, we wrap ourselves in the tzitzit, representing the mitzvot, the commandments that God has revealed through us, through the Torah, which we will celebrate that revelation Thursday, Friday, and Shabbat of this week with Shavuot. The mitzvot are designed to prevent us from straying from the core values of the Jewish people. And it dawned on me as I was thinking about the flag and Yom Yerushalayim that perhaps we need to reclaim an element of the original symbolism of the flag of the State of Israel. The flag means and represents certainly the state as a state as part of the community of nations around the world. But one of the reasons why we in the diaspora place the Israeli flag in our sanctuaries on our bimot, opposite the flag of our home country, is because the flag for us means something more than just the nation state of the state of Israel. It is a reminder of the Talit, a reminder of the mitzvot, a reminder of the commandments, the essential values of our people that should help prevent us from going astray in extremist ways, either to the left or to the right, where we forget about the central humanity of all people being made in the image and likeness of God. There's a midrash that I think is relevant for this message as well a universal message of the importance of respecting all humanity no matter where they live or what they do, even when, and perhaps especially when we disagree with them. The Midrash asks, why is it that Torah was delivered by Midbar in the wilderness and not in Eretz Israel, in the land of Israel itself? And the answer that the Midrash gives is so that the Israelites would not be able to say to the other nations of the world, you have no share in the Torah. But now that it was given in the wilderness publicly and openly in a place that is free for all, says the Midrash, everyone wishing to accept it could come and accept it. The Torah, according to this Midrash, was not intended to be exclusive just to the Jewish people. It has certain universal values that apply to others, which is why in Western civilization we talk about Judeo-Christian values because those values within the Torah and within the New Testament, there's a shared core delivered at Sinai in the wilderness that applies to all and not just to the particular. This, I think, is an important lesson Because we have to remember, even though we believe, and I certainly believe, that we have a moral, legal, legitimate claim to be in Israel, to develop Israel, to maintain Israel, to develop and to uh, uh, protect Israel as the nation state of the Jewish people, as a Jewish and democratic state, that doesn't mean that we are able to or should ignore the fact that there are other people that have been living there too and continue to live there. And when we use the flag as a symbol of of oppression and of particularism to the exclusion of others, we're forgetting that it comes ultimately in our tradition from the Talit from the symbol of the mitzvot of our tradition, of the values that we profess. And those values only become important when they're challenged, as all values only become important when they're challenged. We're living at a moment of great challenge. When we look at the flag, we should be reminded of the talit, we should be reminded of the tzitzit, and hopefully that reminder that reminder will keep us centered and balanced in the way in which we address the challenges that face us today. And then as Shir Hashirim says to us, el bait hayayin, we should be able to be brought into the house of the vineyard alai bi'ahava, and look upon the flag and what it represents, Ba'ahava, with love. Shabbat shalom.